Gambling is big business. Every year, millions of visitors travel to Macau, Monaco, and Las Vegas to test their luck. Casinos have sprung up in many parts of America, Europe, and the United Kingdom. Television ads show happy faces and lavish lifestyles for supposed winners of government-sponsored lotteries. As millions of pounds, dollars, and euros, and other local currencies pour in. Internet gaming houses allow sports fans to bet on their favorite teams. And racetracks offer opportunities for sports enthusiasts who would rather lose their money in person. Poker games are now becoming popular on television, where players have become celebrities, thus enticing others to think they too can find fame and fortune by their wits and a little bit of luck. There seems to be no end to the ways people can gamble away their hard-earned cash or retirement savings. Have you ever considered why casinos have bright lights and few if any windows? They're designed to create excitement and to keep you there as long as possible. Inside you never know whether it's day or night, and the longer you're kept in the game, the more they'll take from you. The games are designed to throw a few shekels at you, but that's to keep your hopes alive, and some very few do strike it rich, but again, all this is a part of the illusion to keep people coming back. Maybe it'll be me next time. What is it about our nature that drives us to do something that is clearly irrational? Why is it that we gamble our hard-earned wages when deep down we know that the odds are not in our favor? Make no mistake, Casinos, betting houses, and lotteries are in business for only one purpose, to separate a fool from his money. But not all gambling revolves around games of money. And one way, everyday gambling is a part of the human experience. When you marry someone, you're gambling that this person will be faithful to you as your lifelong partner. When you get into a car or ride a bike, there's a certain element of risk. And when you fly in an airplane, there's a slight chance, thankfully a very slight chance, that something can go drastically wrong. So in that sense, you're gambling, taking a chance when you step on board. But that's very different from playing a game that is stacked against you. Not many people would fly in a plane if there was a 96% chance it would crash. In reality, we take chances all the time but with the expectation that things will work out, and they most often do. There truly are rewards for making these choices. But there's still another gamble we take, and you're taking it right now, whether you realize it or not. You're betting, and if you're betting wrong, the consequences will be disastrous beyond your imagination. And that is the gamble you're taking by your actions on whether there is a God who can give you a glorious life after death. Today it's fashionable to reject God, but since you really can't prove that He doesn't exist, isn't that a high-stakes gamble? And is that a good bet or a foolish one? Right now you're betting one way or the other, so I ask you, are you choosing wisely or foolishly? Stay tuned.
Welcome to Tomorrow's World from all of us here at the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program. On today's program, I'm going to discuss the greatest gamble of your life. The reward of making the right move may be eternal life. Now consider for a moment what that means. We're all going to die. That's you and that's me. But is that the end of all things? Is all that we have to look forward to the blackness of darkness forever? Not according to the book known as the Bible. Many passages found in it tell us that we can live forever, no longer suffering pain and sorrow. I think we all want that, but is it for real? Can we really have life after death? And if so, what must we do to attain eternal life? Because while most people want it, the majority are betting by the way they conduct their lives that it isn't for real. The only thing that is important is the here and now and planning for an uncertain future is not all that important. The Bible claims to offer the one and only way to eternal life, but it reveals that if you choose poorly, only blackness and darkness await you. It will be as though you never existed, as it tells us in Ecclesiastes, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And also in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of The Real God, Proofs and Promises. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Death is going to happen to all of us. And if there is no future resurrection to life, that'll be it. No work, no knowledge, no wisdom, no consciousness. Just blackness and darkness and nothingness. But the Bible holds out hope, and we'll discuss that in a few minutes. But first we need to consider the alternatives, eternal life or eternal death. Considering the stark contrast between the two, wouldn't it be worth a modest amount of your time to research where the life after death is possible? And if so, is there something required of you to gain it? With so much at stake, why would anyone gamble away the better choice through laziness and neglect? In the book of Deuteronomy, a book in the Bible, one speaking as God, sets before us this choice. It's found in chapter 30 and verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Consider this. What if someone walked up to you right now and had the power to offer you that choice? Which would you choose? Would it be blessings and life, or would it be curses and death? It would seem that the choice should be simple, but apparently it's not. The overwhelming majority of mankind is gambling by their actions on curses and death. They're gambling that there is no God 
and that all that is important is the here and now. Live for today and don't worry about tomorrow. But what if there is a God who created life on this planet? What if there is life after death? What if the choices we make today make the difference between living forever or being dead forever? Think about this. If we are the result of blind evolutionary chance, as so many believe today, what hope can there be of life beyond the grave? Have we somehow evolved some kind of spirit life that lives on after the body dies? Just think about it. How could such a life evolve? Is it really possible that man can live again if we are merely the product of blind evolutionary chance? How is it that someone can reject God, believe we came into existence as a cosmic accident, and still think that there will be consciousness after death? The Western world was once the heart of Christianity, but it's rapidly turning away from belief in God. Some nations faster than others, but the trend is evident in most parts of Europe, North America, and elsewhere. These key findings appeared in a 2015 Angus Reid poll of Canadians regarding religion and faith. Just over one quarter, 26% of Canadians say they are inclined to reject religion. Their numbers have been growing in recent decades. Nearly one-third, 30%, report that they are inclined to embrace religion. Their numbers have been shrinking. This survey sparked a number of news reports on the role of religion in Canada. One lengthy report on the CBC's Evening News focused on the growing trend away from doctrinal absolutes and organized religion. During one portion of the segment, an in-home funeral service was being conducted. It began with the lighting of a candle. This is usually considered to be a religious rite, and the expectation was that there would be, therefore, a religious basis to what followed. But as the one conducting the service spoke, it became evident that he was an atheist. He boldly declared that the entirety of one's life could be summed up in the time between conception and death. There was nothing before and nothing afterward. But after the service, one of the organizers and a relative of the deceased said she knew her dead relative was looking down on her at that moment. What a disconnect. But that's a common disconnect. People want to believe there is no God, but they can't accept that death is the end of everything. How is that possible? Another key finding in the Angus Reid survey is that the remaining 44% acknowledge that they are somewhere in between the two positions. They still hold many conventional beliefs and sometimes engage in religious practices, including occasional religious service attendance. They do not see themselves as particularly devout, but they also have not abandoned religion. A summary statement near the top of the report describes how the ranks of the faithful are shrinking leaving the largest category, 44%, in the middle, neither totally embracing faith nor entirely rejecting it. One might say that these people are the undecided or lazy about firming up their beliefs. Perhaps they have a just-in-case religion where they are hedging their bets in case God does exist. 
The report says the largest group puts itself in the mushy middle on religion. Ranks of those embracing faith are shrinking. The speed with which strong faith in God is being abandoned in the Western world is remarkable, and it's picking up speed. However, the desire and fascination with the afterlife persists. Whole books have been written on after-death experiences, and ghost-hunting reality shows promote the idea of the spirit world. But how can this be? If we are the product of blind evolutionary processes, how does a spirit world evolve? Life after death implies two important conclusions. First, there must be an all-powerful force, intelligence, or being that can cause a physical existence to transcend to a different form of existence. And secondly, such a supreme cause and transformation introduces the subject of purpose, which by its very nature lies outside scientific discovery. Science can have no answers since by its own admission it deals only with the material. As the United States National Academy of Sciences has clearly stated, whether there is a purpose to the universe or a purpose for human existence are not questions for science. Yet scientists cross the line from science to religion all the time. Cornell University biologist and science historian William Provine proclaims, Modern science directly implies that there are no inherent moral or ethical laws, no absolute guiding principles for human society. We must conclude that when we die, we die, and that is the end of us. Or as the outspoken evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins wrote in River Out of Eden, In a universe of physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, or any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The ultimate conclusion of a world without God, without a supreme arbiter of right and wrong, is that we now live in a world where each person thinks his ideas are truth, no matter how illogical. We've come to the place in our postmodern world where all ideas are equal, when this is pure nonsense. We have exchanged reality for making everyone feel good about himself. The Bible describes our age in the second letter to Timothy at the beginning of chapter 3. Paul warns the younger Timothy that in the last days people would have murky and mushy ideas about God, and that means mushy ideas about the ultimate meaning and outcome of life. But he begins by showing the fruits or results of these vague and uncommitted ideas. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Recent research has shown that people enjoy the ceremonies of religion, but not the doctrines. In other words, let's sing, sway about with arms waving, dust some incense around, 
but keep the sermon short and go away feeling good. But is this reality? Is this what the creator of the universe, if he exists, expects of us? Evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould reflects what many atheists think. It's a tough life, and if you can delude yourself into thinking that there's all some warm and fuzzy meaning to it all, it's enormously comforting. But I do think it's just a story we tell ourselves. Is Gould correct? Is religion only a self-deluding comfort blanket? Is it all a giant lie to help us get through the week? Or is there substance to it? Does it have real answers to real questions, such as the question of life after death? How you answer these questions and how you respond to the answers tells where you're placing your bet. Gould, Dawkins, and Provine are gambling against God and against eternal life. What about you? Have you checked out all the evidence? Or are you merely accepting without question your background beliefs or floating down the stream of popular opinion? To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of The Real God, Proofs and Promises. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. One of the major personages in the Bible is a man named Paul. As students of the Bible know, his original name was Saul, and he sorely persecuted the early Christians, that is, until he was supernaturally struck down while on a journey to Damascus to ferret out Christ's followers and to take them to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. In more ways than one, it was a near-death experience, and it got his attention when he came in contact with the resurrected Christ. It was only after that that he began to understand the many ancient prophecies that were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul was so convinced against his will that Jesus was the Messiah and that he did indeed rise from the dead that he became a zealous follower and was willing to die to tell others what he learned. Over the next half of his life, he suffered many things as a result of his zealous testimony about Christ. The persecutor now had become the persecuted. In defending himself against those who questioned his credentials as a minister of Christ, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24, From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeys often, and weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Paul was a realist. He recognized that all he endured as a result of preaching that Jesus is the Christ was for nothing unless there is a resurrection from the dead. Notice 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
true science cannot confer upon us eternal life, and certainly evolutionary chance cannot. And religion itself, if it is not from a living God, can't raise us from the dead. Yet the Bible tells us one man was raised from the dead and that he is the key to our life beyond the grave. Here's how Paul explained it to the Corinthians and the first letter to them beginning in chapter 15 and in verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, or died, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now that's laying it on the line. Either Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, or He didn't. There's no in-between. If He didn't, the Bible is a fraud. But if He did, maybe we had better take this more seriously. Most people don't take God seriously until they are near death. Then they want to know, what's it all about? Is this really the end? And will I live again? Lee Iacocca was one of the great industrialists of the 20th century and he had the opportunity to meet many of the great of this world. In his book, Talking Straight, he makes this observation. I've always marveled at how belief in the hereafter gets accentuated as people grow older. Until their deathbeds, many of the great minds in science thought that because their soul and being were wrapped up in their body, the old 98 cents worth of chemicals, before inflation that is, and that because after death there would no longer be a body, that was it. But now when they have to go, suddenly they want to believe in somebody up there because they don't know where they're going, and they're scared. Sort of scared to death, you might say. It's a little late by then. Yes, people will gamble all their productive years that God doesn't exist, or that even if He does, the way they live and the choices they make really aren't that important. But when the end is near, there is a change in attitude. Iacocca relates a joke about one of the early film actors, the late W.C. Fields. He was a lifetime agnostic, neither believing in God nor totally rejecting His existence. As the story goes, he was discovered on his deathbed reading the Bible when someone asked, what are you reading that for? And his reply, I'm looking for a loophole. As with W.C. Fields, many people want to hedge their bets, just in case. Some hedge their bets sooner, as do the mushy middle, while others wait until they're near death. But if God exists, do we really think that He'll be pleased with either approach? As Iacocca said, it's a little late by then. At some point most of us will want to know, or at least we ask ourselves the questions, does God exist and is there life after death? 
But can we know the answers to these most important of all questions? We are challenged in the Bible by one claiming to be God. This challenge is found in Isaiah the 46th chapter and verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Notice that this one claiming to be God and the one who inspired the Bible says he declares the end from the beginning. Is that so? Does the Bible accurately predict detailed events in advance? Past Tomorrow's World programs have discussed this question and the answer is a resounding yes. Gambling is big business in this world and there is no lack of fools willing to bet their hard-earned resources in the slim hope of striking it rich in this life, a life that will only last a very few short years. Not everyone gambles in this way, but we are all gambling by the choices we make on whether God exists and on our eternity. As with gambling for money, some will win and some will lose. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the bet most people are making. But what if they're wrong? Consider what they're giving up. The Bible shows us that this physical life is a time of testing to see if we want to live for eternity in harmony and peace as the very sons and daughters of God. Your ultimate destiny is described in our booklet by that title, and in previous Tomorrow's World programs. But the starting point is to know whether God exists. To help you discover the true God, please go to our website and check out our booklet, The Real God, Proofs and Promises. In it you will find simple but profound proofs of God's existence. I cannot emphasize enough how deeply profound these proofs are. Read this booklet, study it, think about it. There can be no more important question because right now, by your choices, you're betting your life. Now be sure to come back next week at the same time to learn more about the most important questions of all. Join Richard Ames and me as we give you the good news of tomorrow's world and the answers to life's most important questions. See you next time right here. To learn more about today's topic, Visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of The Real God, Proofs and Promises. It reveals seven vital proofs of the existence of the real Creator God. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. Call 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call, write, or visit us online today. 
This program is a production of The Living Church of God.